0: The Frederick Playlist Podcast is brought to you in part by Mystery Tun Studios. Looking for a place to record your music? Welcome to Mystery Tun Studios. They are a full-service recording, mixing, and mastering studio located 15 minutes outside of Frederick, Maryland. Owner-engineer Kenny Eaton has years of experience working with musicians around the world and a passion for one thing, helping artists realize their vision. Go to mysterytonsstudios.com to learn more and schedule a free tour today. That's M-Y-S-T-E-R-Y-T-O-N studios.com. Your music matters. Well, okay, everybody. Hello, and welcome into this episode of the Frederick Playlist podcast. Um, I'm really, really excited about this. We haven't had a chance to catch up in a long time. Um, we used to be best friends in the world. I don't know what happened. I'm sitting here with Jeff Cosgrove. How are you, sir? Hey, how are you, Colin? Good, good. Um. Very excited to have you in. I'm also excited about something we are doing tomorrow night. Yes,
1: right? me oh. too. I'm really excited to be here. Thank you for having me. Uh-huh. And uh, yeah, tomorrow night's going to be a lot of fun.
0: Yes, we'll we'll talk a, a little bit about that in a couple minutes because the people won't even see that for a long time, but people will hear this this podcast in a day or today or tomorrow. So I
1: love building anticipation. Yes, that's <laughs> going to be amazing.
0: <laughs> um. So jeff cosgrove local jazz musician extraordinaire correct
1: uh local for sure (laughs) jazz drummer for sure extraordinaire is a sliding scale i
0: think (laughs) definitely extraordinaire (laughs) can you move the the mic to you a little closer that's good yeah good deal um there you go so i want to kind of i like to go back to the beginning with everybody and i'm interested in knowing how you got into playing and and what inspired you to even pick up an instrument if you're a drummer people should know i am a drummer and, and how did yeah. you get into the drums
1: so uh it's a funny story actually i in the elementary school band i wanted to play the tenor saxophone Ooh. and uh, i have the the distinct pleasure of not being a large person i'm, I'm fairly <laughs> short and my parents in their infinite wisdom, decided that I was not big enough or strong enough to bring a tenor saxophone home every day. And so they forced me to play the clarinet, and that was the worst musical experience for me and everyone around me.
0: Why was that? Why was it so bad?
1: Uh, I just could never make a sound that didn't sound like skinning a live cat. And it was horrible. And so I, I think everybody was more than relieved when, in the fifth grade when I gave it up. And then I thought, well, I just wanted to continue music and I thought I would pick up the loudest, most obnoxious instrument that they had in the school band. Mm-hmm. And so I ended up at the drums. And I don't know, I just kind of fell in love with it right away. And my, my parents, uh, after a, a year or so, they could see that I was in the school band and I was taking lessons and I was really into it. And one year they, they made me this agreement. They said, if you promise to practice every day, we'll buy you a drum set. Wow. Those were the worst words they could have ever <laughs> uttered. It was terrible for them.
0: <laughs> so so you ended up practicing every day and annoying them to no end.
1: Yes, them, my neighbors, uh, future bandmates, um, <laughs> my wife and children, and my neighbors now. Uh, yeah, so, and it was just kind of one of those things. I just kind of fell in love with it mm-hmm. fairly easily. And for a long time, I was absolutely terrible.
0: <laughs> what does that mean? You were absolutely, I, objectively speaking, you're saying? No, I was
1: just terrible. <laughs> like,
0: <laughs> What what constitutes terrible?
1: Uh, I had terrible time. Okay. Uh, I was overly loud. But uh, people kept me around because I showed up on time mm-hmm. and um, just was very willing to play. So mm-hmm. I would take anything. And I was really good at hustling gigs for some reason. And So everybody wanted me to be still in the band because I could find gigs, even though mm-hmm. I was not that great of a drummer.
0: Well, was this through all genres? It was not just jazz cover bands. Even, yeah. Or? I
1: played in top 40 bands. I played in wedding bands. I, um, <laughs> had an amazing run in a wedding band where I had to wear a tuxedo every gig, Ooh. um, which was amazing and fun. I was in a lot of blues bands. I wanted to be in blues bands when I was in uh, high school and college and mm. have played with a lot of great blues musicians. Um, And I just kind of fell into jazz in college, and it was weird because I, up to that point, I had played in rock bands and country bands, and Mm -hmm. I've even played Cowbell in a Latin band. (laughs) And, you know, so I've done a lot of weird things musically, um, and I've played percussion with a number of uh, singer songwriters, but um, I just kind of fell into jazz. It fit my style of playing very well because. Mm -hmm one of the things that every band that I was ever in found uh, less than endearing about my playing is I could never replicate what I had just done. Oh. So it just kind of happened. Mm-hmm. I just would play this fill and everybody were like, Oh, that's amazing. Do that again. And I was like, I, I don't, I, I have no idea what that was, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And so sheepishly I would have to try and recreate these things. And, mm. You know, the the spirit of improvisation and the looseness that I could get in jazz was very comfortable for me.
0: See, I'm so glad you said that because I I, the what there's just only one question I had to ask you so you can answer it and we could just end the podcast right now if you want. I had a, a few weeks ago, I had an artist on this podcast, Jonathan Towns. Are you, do you know him at all? The guitar player? Yes. Yes, I do. And he went to Berkeley to study jazz uh, for a year, he said. Mm-hmm. And I was talking about the role of improvisation in jazz. And he said, There is absolutely no improvisation in jazz. Would you disagree with that? He said that there's structures, there's all, we we ended, up, we ended up going back and forth about this. And to this day, I'm just like, ugh. I don't know. So what do you think?
1: Yeah. Uh, I will agree and disagree. I'll give you the yes with a maybe and no with a but answer. <laughs> um, I
0: see. We still can't get to the bottom no. of this thing. Okay.
1: <laughs> definitely yeah. not. Um, I think that there definitely is improvisation. Mm-hmm. But I feel like that there's a lot of freedom within structure. Yes. And I, for me, as somebody who plays in situations which have absolutely no f- structure or context as well as very structured and very contexted situations. Mm-hmm. I think that, yes, everybody has their licks and ideas that they will play within improvisation. Mm-hmm. But it to me, the improvisation is just like a conversation. You don't exactly know where it's going to go, mm-hmm. um, although you have tools in your tube, tool belt to kind of help you get there yeah. when a situation arises. So... I feel like yes there is improvisation, but you are the improvisation is how do you put the tools together in the right way or paint the picture in that moment more so than it's just completely making it up on the spot.
0: Well that's kinda of, that was what I said too. I brought up the idea of conversations and all of that stuff because that's always an important element of, of jazz. But he was he was pretty set on, you know, um, everything is, is pre planned, everything is structured, all of that. I I don't, I mean, especially listening to you and, and you just saying what you said, too. I mean, the stuff that you do is so abstract sometimes, which is really, I'm not sure if you're, if you're knowing you're going to do that going in, you have pieces that run 20, 30 minutes long. Did you write note for note out what you would do?
1: Absolutely not. Okay. Uh, I, while I can read music, I'm not a great reader. And what's funny is I, I did a record. This summer, um, with a, the saxophonist Ivo Perlman and a friend of mine, Matthew Shipp, um, pianist, who mm-hmm. I did my alternating current record with, and I had never met Ivo before the day of the gig. Mm-hmm. Um, Matthew and I have obviously played a number of times and for a long time, um, and we went in and record. We went in and played, and there was literally no conversation about it. <laughs> we would just went up there, and we released a record uh, that just came out on Leo Records out of England under Ivo's name, Live in Baltimore, and it's a 51-minute single piece, Mm -hmm. and there was absolutely no conversation. I had no idea what was going to happen. I'd never played with Ivo before, Mm -hmm. and we just kind of went for it. And so in that situation, I'm always trying to listen Mm -hmm. and always trying to hear where I should be, Mm -hmm. because to me... It's amazing to watch drummers who have this incredible technique and can play a lot. But my style was born out of terrible technique. I have absolutely horrible
0: technique. And no time either. No time.
1: Horrible technique and no time. So free jazz was like the (laughs) ultimate like haven for me. Um, And uh, it was one of these things where I just kind of had to listen and feel and understand where would be moments that would build tension and release tension. Mm-hmm. And to me that is the art of improvisation. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's really how to use the tools you have to build that build that tension or release that
0: tension. Do you have any moments in any performances and EP like you you record a lot. I do. I do. (laughs) Which is great. And I'm I'm kind of like that myself too. I'm kind of a a nut about that. Anything if I can get my hands on any recording I've been a part of it live or if it's from a cell phone or whatever, I always want to listen back and try to dissect it. You do this a lot, but you do it with professional equipment and you do (laughs) a lot. Are there any moments in any releases that stick out to you through your career that uh you think wow this we got it really good that night we got it really good for this
1: yes there's a lot of that and i do record a lot and i have for a lot of my time growing up because that's really what helped me grew Mm -hmm. helped me grow um as you know taking i used to do these jam sessions in dc I used to drive down to dc when i was in college and i listened back to those tapes and it, it shows me not only how far I've gone, but what ideas maybe I would see like the seed of mm-hmm. and then would grow from. Mm-hmm. Or it helps me realize where my playing has changed in a way to adapt more to the music.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And there was there's been a lot of stuff. I mean, I can think. You know, the recordings I did with William Parker and Matthew Shipp. Yeah, they're great. Um, but they, probably my favorite thing that I've done in a live recording situation was uh, the version of my favorite things we did on my record, Conversations Conver- with that. Yeah,
0: Conversations with thousands
1: Yeah, that was actually a live record, too.
0: But that was... Now, alternating current only had a handful of tracks on it. Was it. Only three, three tracks, but one was, I think, the centerpiece was sort of with 30 minutes, like thirty-eight minutes. Thirty longer. minutes, okay, yeah, thirty-eight it was minutes. Thirty-eight minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but, but conversations with owls. That was over ten or twelve tracks.
1: Yes, it was. So, it was. It was. It was. That was a unique session too, in the sense that it was the first time Martin and Frank and I had played together. Mm-hmm. I had known Frank and Martin for a number of years. Um, But it was was the only pre-planned, in my mind, track that we were going to do, but not in a way that I had ever heard it done before. I'm Mm -hmm. a huge Elvin Jones fan. Mm. And so the record My Favorite Things with John Coltrane has Mm -hmm. my – absolute favorite piano solo mm. McCoy Tyner got this giant framed picture of McCoy Tyner in my drum Aww. space that uh, a friend of mine, uh, actually recording engineer and photographer Jimmy Katz gave me who did the recording of Conversations with Owls and Alternating Current he gave me and I, it just is a great inspiration. I've always loved that tune mm-hmm. and I just love the sparseness that we kind of brought to it, mm-hmm. which to me was a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and Martin, probably would kill me if I admitted this on the air which I'm about to do (laughs) but he we get in and we he was like so what are we going to play tonight and I said um I don't know what uh we the only thing I would like to do and talk about and plan is my favorite things he goes oh I I don't really know that tune Uh and I was like yeah we got this (laughs) and that's that again comes back to our circle of the art of improvisation Mm -hmm. you know it's improvisation is is in some ways more about how you listen and less about how you dominate
0: yeah and and how i mean it's everybody bringing their own signature to the piece in some way Uh, absolutely and and the the responses and the way that they interpret it themselves all of that all that stuff but i when he said there was absolutely no improvisation i wanted to bang my head against the wall because i (laughs) i don't i don't know about that but we kind of got sidetracked you who were some of the first drummers. That you really fell in love with when you started. I had no idea you started. You know, by playing in different bands. You said you always wanted to be in a blues band. Uh, who, who are some of the ones that really influenced you?
1: Oh man, there's so many. I could I could spend the rest of the podcast <laughs> just talking about that. So um, and it would you would probably not know by listening um, to my playing. But John Bonham is a huge
0: really. John, okay. Oh my
1: gosh, I spent like an entire all of high school basically just learning all of the led zeppelin licks and mm-hmm. and tunes and playing along to those records and i love that ginger baker was one of the first ones
0: okay you know the yeah. redheads
1: we got to keep our yeah. keep it together um
0: <laughs> have you seen the movie the ginger baker movie oh yes yeah. <laughs> does
1: not paint him in the best no, light
0: he's a, he's a weird dude
1: he's a very <laughs> weird dude he's a very weird dude <laughs>
0: John Bonnet, I mean, did you end up learning... He did a lot of interesting stuff with the kick pedal. We might get too much in the weeds for those who don't play drums, right? Yeah. But he did, like, for a single pedal, he was kind of revolutionary in that
1: Absolutely. sense. Absolutely. Yeah. And, oh, my gosh. I, um, I remember my, like, the front of my shins hurting for a good, like, three months as <laughs> yeah. I tried to learn a lot of that, um, those licks. And it was just unbelievable yeah. because I thought it was, at first... Um, a double pedal thing, yeah. And then yeah. when I was talking to a friend of mine in high school, he was like, "Oh no, man, it's single pedal, single pedal." And I was like, "There's that's impossible. Yeah. It's just physically impossible." <laughs> and it was weird. I, I, um, I. I felt like I my the front of my shin when I would walk around in high school looked like the right side where my kick pedal was just way bigger. I felt <laughs> like I had like some freakish disease, but you know, no, I'm just learning John Bonham. Yeah. It's fun. It's totally cool.
0: I yeah, I actually picked up recently some jobs with a blues band uh, mm-hmm. out out of Pennsylvania, and I've been doing that as well with the other stuff. And uh, we did a wedding a couple weeks ago, which was interesting in its own right because weddings can be really fun to play and the money's always there which always is <laughs>
1: which is nice when you have to pay rent or a yes, mortgage yeah. you know <laughs> uh
0: but they wanted to hear uh rock and roll ah. so so we we ended up going through that and that was the first time i had played that song in a long time i was wondering how long it took you to i'm assuming you you used to play along to that i did a, absolutely that intro.
1: four is like one of my favorite records of all time <laughs> um and yes it took me I would say that tune in itself, just the intro, took me a good few months. Yeah, I know. (laughs) It was – and once I even got the, like, notes together, I sat and, like, freakishly transcribed all of that stuff. But, like, once I got it together, it took me, I don't know, at least a good six months to even get it to sound right. Yeah. Because that's so much of his stuff is in time but loose enough that it kind of – slides together Mm -hmm. in a lot of ways and it's
0: almost impossible to mimic note it It really is because it's a feel thing and it's a style thing which is it's really really hard for people who might not play an instrument if you try to mimic somebody that's really really hard especially on the drums because there's so many moving parts
1: yes i could never i i can and i can remember in college and and in high school and and like throughout a lot of my playing i can there's a lot of guys that I know who can do these amazing musical interpretations of players that they admire, mm-hmm. and I could never get that together. Yeah. I wanted – there was a period where I wanted to sound like John Bonham. Mm-hmm. There was a period where I wanted to sound like Tony Williams. There there was a period when I wanted to sound like Elvin Jones.
0: Ginger and Baker?
1: Ginger Baker, yeah. yeah. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I, I – um, I borrowed a second bass drum from a friend uh, to try and make that happen, uh-huh. and his bass drum was bigger than mine, so mm-hmm. it had that perfect ginger baker yeah, look. Yeah, um, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> I just
0: have, have you ever tried a double pedal? Have you? Ever I, have, I have. I yeah. have a
1: double pedal, mm-hmm. and it sounds just as bad as you would think it would. If you... <laughs>
0: <laughs> I've I've always been morally opposed to them, and for whatever reason, I'm gonna I'm gonna share some bias of my own and it makes me an awful human being, I know. But when when I go... Oh, come on, Kyle. When I, when, I, when I see live music and I see drummers and bands and a drummer with a double pedal, I don't know why, and I'm probably wrong, but I immediately somehow just lose a tiny one-tenth of respect for the drummer. I'm like, I don't... No, I I, I don't want to see this. If John Bonham could do it without one, then you should be able to do it without. I mean, when you get into speed metal and you get into all those stuff, of course, there, there's no way you could do some of that stuff with a single right. pedal. But I just I see people with double pedal who don't even really use it that much or know how to use it like tastefully, and they just kind of throw it in. It really bothers me to see double pedals. So
1: I'm not morally opposed to it. I'm just annoyed that i can't use it in any way and i i mean as i'm a,
0: probably the same i'm probably the same
1: as a child of the like um 80s and 90s like it, i felt like it was standard issue when you were a drummer in that time frame and mm-hmm. i felt like oh i just needed a double pedal and i remember i played in this metal band like i played in a metal band um <laughs> And it, that was terrible, too. I was like, mo- I was playing in this blues band and this metal band at the same time. Blues metal. Blues metal, yeah. <laughs> it was great. And the the metal guys, when I'd be practicing a lot for a bunch of gigs with the blues band, they were like, oh, you're with the blues band again. And then when I was doing the, the blues thing, the, the same thing in, in mm-hmm. reverse. Um, but I remember the first time I, I got this double pedal, and I was super excited, and I brought it to the metal practice. And oh, my God. My uh, my friend Greg Burgess, who is a guitar player in this band Legion, who we went to high school together, and mm-hmm. uh, he is a great metal guitar player. And the he just l- fell on the floor laughing. It was so <laughs> terrible, like it was so terrible. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> it was so just, good. It was amazing. That's so good. And over the years, I like I, I have a double pedal, and I set it up, and I play I play around with it, and again. It sounds as terrible as you would think.
0: (laughs) Well, how would you incorporate that in the stuff you do now, though?
1: Well, Uh, I I mean, it's the double pedal thing I don't know that I could because to me it's more about changing the sound mm -hmm. um, because if you listen, uh, as I know you have – quite a bit and have always had very nice things to say about it, which I yes. really appreciate. Um, I am not somebody who can put a large flurry of notes together. Mm. Like my 11 year old has a better single stroke role, which is again, very nerdy to say um, than me. And I've been playing since I was 12 and I'm a whole lot older than that now. Um, and it's just as bad in my feet. So if I'm going to do the double bass drum thing, which I have done couple of times Mm -hmm. on provided drums it's more about the changing of the tone like Mm -hmm. i'm gonna i i want a different sound um because i just don't have the technical facility to make a lot of that stuff happen i mean i saw dennis chambers once he was like doing a double pedal and his hi hat with a, a foot and like his heel and like wiping sweat off with one hand and like playing you know, all around the kit with this. I mean, again, we're nerding out, but yeah. <laughs> um, it was, it was the most excitingly nerdy drum thing I'd ever seen. And I was just like, that's d- amazingly something I will never do.
0: Oh, I know. And th- I'm so glad you <laughs> said that too, because gosh, that that's something that I have been coming across and kind of dealing with lately. And, and we're really going down the weeds on this, but but this is great. This, this, was, is, this is fabulous. Let's nerd this out. Yes. Let's do let's it. Do this. Um, we, I I I didn't when I came to Maryland I didn't think I'd ever play again. I didn't want to play again. I had put it down. I had played my whole life in a various different uh bands and genres and all of that stuff, but I came here I thought I'd never play. But now that I play I'm I'm really super back into it and geeking out kind of in the way that we are now. And I've come across cuz it's so easy to do this And it used to not be easy to do this, to come across all these different videos online of people playing just the drums, drum solos, uh, you know, playing along to other. Like, I just saw yesterday online, somebody was mimicking a Buddy Rich solo, like, note for note. And it was insane. It was, like, four or five minutes long, and he learned it. I'm like, how do you even have the time to do this? And it makes me feel ashamed to play the drums. Seeing some of these people play like this, I'm like, I'll never be able to do that.
1: Oh, yeah, when I watch YouTube, which I try and stay out of that rabbit hole because I just get sad. Yeah, for myself. Yeah, because I'm like, oh my gosh, I've been playing um, for a long time, more than 25 years, and uh, trying to do not reveal how old I am, which is <laughs> ridiculous. Well, you're older than 11, or old, older than 12, older than 12. <laughs> and you've
0: been playing for 25 years. Yes.
1: More than twenty five years. <laughs> trying to think of that. Thirty nine. Oh, did I just say that out loud? Oh,
2: oh
0: no. <laughs> um,
1: no, but I, I mean, I see these kids. Uh, I mean, and I'll yeah. say kids because I kids. see like ten year olds.
0: Yes, literally ten year olds. Like yeah.
1: doing these like crazy dream theater like super prog like mm-hmm. things on YouTube. Like it. Like if I just practiced. 24 hours a day for the rest of my life i would never be there
0: i know i'd never be there i know i don't know
1: how like i I don't know how they do it and i understand and respect that Mm
0: -hmm. thing
1: but for me it just doesn't do much
0: um that's an interesting thing to say i hate keep using the word interesting because it's actually not an interesting (laughs) word to use but i've had that conversation (laughs) too Um, Uh, I talked to my dad about this because my dad plays the drums and he got me into it forever and ever ago. Um, And he's a huge drum nerd and he has the exact same opinion that you just said. Like talking about, have you ever seen any of like the Guitar Center competitions or yes. things like that yes. and you and you watch like the winner or you watch some of those videos of the people who competed and he calls it sometimes just gymnastics because they're doing just these insane things they will stand on their head and they'll jump up and down and yeah. all that stuff it's not drumming it's just like a it's a it's a spectacle
1: right um, well and to me that's the thing the level of technique has been raised so high over the last few years mm-hmm. but the level of music being played has not grown in equal proportion
0: i no, don't think. i agree yeah Yeah, and to
1: me, like the as as many jokes as are out there about drummers being musicians, drummers are musicians. Yeah, you know, (laughs) like it it has to be in service of the music, Mm -hmm. and you know, maybe that's a cop out answer for me as somebody who doesn't have that kind of technique and facility, (laughs) and I would love to have it, but we are both
0: just jealous. Right, that's all we are. That's right.
1: We're just a bunch of haters. (laughs) (laughs) But I mean, to me, it's really. There's not a whole lot of musicality in it, and mm-hmm. I mean there are plenty of musicians that I admire and love who have incredible facility and technique. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Matt Wilson and Jeff Ballard and and Tonio Sanchez and Stan Moore and you know mm-hmm. uh, Daphne's Prieto and and I mean Billy Hart is one of them. Mm-hmm. I mean I could sit and listen to these guys all the time, but it's not. I mean. Even Roy Haynes. I mean, Roy Mm -hmm. Haynes is 90 years old, and Mm -hmm. and he could play around me in seconds. Yeah, he's
0: incredible. Yeah. Yeah.
1: But, again, it's not the fact that it's a barrage of notes all the time. Mm -hmm. It's just completely appropriate. They know their spot.
0: Mm -hmm. Its groove and its feel. Exactly. and
1: And, you know, and that's the thing. Like, you... And I remember taking – and as we go down the nerd rabbit hole, um, <laughs> I remember taking a friend of mine to see Eric Clapton for the first time. And mm-hmm. I'm a huge Eric Clapton
0: fan. Like, mm-hmm.
1: I love Eric Clapton from, like, the terrible 80s, like, pretending thing all the way back <laughs> to, like, The Yardbirds and, you know, the stuff, like, Behind the Sun with Phil Collins mm-hmm. and, uh, oh yeah you know, great records. And I, I mean, I love – and I, I'm a huge fan, like, mm-hmm. huge – Again, nerd.
0: Who did he have with him?
1: Uh, he had Steve Gadd. St-
0: oh, Steve Gadd. Okay. Steve
1: Gadd was on the gig, and I was mm-hmm. super excited to see Steve. Mm-hmm. And I remember a friend of mine, and I was like, oh, my gosh, man, I'm Steve Gadd is here. <laughs> and I'm like, this is going to be amazing. And I can remember seeing Steve, and he did not play the Steve Gadd thing. He just uh. played the perfectly appropriate grooves, the perfectly appropriate fills, mm-hmm. and my friend who – Uh, turned to me and said you know oh my gosh that was like the best drumming ever I didn't even pay attention to it you know what I mean and that was the thing Steve knew I mean exactly how to make Eric and the band shine Mm -hmm. as opposed to being Steve Gabb yeah you know what I mean Mm -hmm. and and he's one of the greatest drummers in history you know everybody he's influenced so many musicians mm-hmm. and and that to me is the the high water mark yeah like but yeah. i i could never
0: you can never. Do... well you you're a band leader though That's i am a thing. band leader yeah
1: i'm a band leader uh primarily for the fact that i'm i'm really good at putting things together i'm a band organizer <laughs> but <laughs> but it's funny because the musicians i play with 95 percent of the time are on a level beyond wherever i feel like i will be able to ever lead them Mm -hmm. you know Um, and so I feel like I'm more of a band organizer you know I get the gigs I get the book the recording sessions you know and I'm able to kind of pull these things together in a way that people are willing to do it
0: you there was a time when Frederick Playlist was asked to help curate a jazz series at Big Cork Vineyards and you were the guy that I turned to to do that and you were the first one that did it uh, this is since many many years it seems like forever ago <laughs> it it's been gone forever but i remember and i've always wanted to ask you about it what better time to do it than while people are listening <laughs> but we were we were there and you were setting up uh you were actually i think you're hanging out with uh some of the guys you had brought to play with you and also you brought an opening act and i don't remember who it was but you were kind of hanging out with them and i overheard you having a conversation with them about some of the guys, some of the people you've known. You've known a lot of people through the years, it sounded, who has, who have had uh, a good amount of success playing professionally, and I think there was a story that you told, I was like I said, I was just eavesdropping, so I could be completely wrong, but there was somebody you had talked about who had just earned a spot on a late night uh, show playing. Do you remember this at all? Yes,
1: uh, yes I do. So I, I have been very fortunate to meet a lot of musicians mm-hmm. because uh, and jazz musicians and get to know people. Uh, my first professional, and I'll put this in air quotes, professional mm-hmm. job was the fact that I worked for this jazz magazine. I worked for Jazz Times Magazine oh, right okay. out of college.
0: What'd you do? Uh,
1: I sold advertising. Really? You're yes. a good
0: ad seller. It was,
1: <laughs> hey, you know? Um, and my job was to work with the education programs, jazz festivals, and jazz musicians mm-hmm. to promote in this jazz education guide. And so I did that, and I just took that opportunity to get to know everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh, And I would be excited, and, and, you know, I remember the first week I was there, Max Roach called my office by accident. Wow. Wow. And so, you know, oh, my gosh, Max Roach. And these guys – not to like stroke their egos, but they they were if you were excited and knew what they were doing, mm-hmm. they were excited to talk to you.
0: Yeah, I've had that experience too, and and that that sort of world because I look up to a lot of people in that world. And whenever you you express your admiration, they're like, "Oh wow, you know what I'm doing?" Right? Like, yeah, yeah.
1: Mm-hmm. And so I would just start to get to know people and hang out, and I was notorious for hanging out way late. <laughs> Um, and uh, and you know I would get to know a lot of people, but that story you were talking about is uh, my friend drummer Allison Miller. She was mm-hmm. uh, the drummer with Natalie Merchant and then Annie DeFranco, and then she's now subbing with the Late Night with Seth Meyers band. She was mm-hmm. she's been on a lot of stuff, but she is she is a drummer that I mean talk about amazing musicality mm-hmm. and incredible chops. I mean she's one of those people that scares the living daylights out of me when I watch her play <laughs> because it's so appropriate, but you know that she can just shred, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it's really pretty amazing how I've gotten to be able to know these people and help them out and, and become friends with them.
0: Would you want to do, would you want a late night gig? No. no.
1: Uh, oh, <laughs> oh, that I was a quick no. no. I wasn't expecting that. No, it would, uh, I, um, I, I love the idea of it. I love mm-hmm. the idea of the working all the time. But having seen how those shows work, um, there's a lot of stuff that you have to be willing to play mm-hmm. that – it's not to say that I wouldn't be willing to play. It's that I don't know that I'm up to par to play.
0: Ooh, that's interesting. Yeah. I'd, I'd, I just had the – it was really the distinct honor and privilege to talk to Max Weinberg for an yeah. extended period of time. Oh, my gosh. And, yeah. And – this all just clicked right now talking about late night TV. Um, You know, we talked about that in how the East street band had sort of disbanded. Bruce kind of kicked everybody out. So he didn't have a, he didn't have a job. He came up in Broadway. He, he used to play uh, in a bunch of different musicals. He had the drum chair for a lot of things. Uh, So he comes up, he's got no job. Conan O'Brien, he runs into him on the street, asks him, Hey, do you want to play in my band? He comes and he plays. He said it was, it was so hard to figure out. He said he's not a jazz drummer, but he played one on TV. For right. <laughs> and <laughs>
1: sounds about right. Yeah,
0: so that I mean, it seems like it would be taxing. I never thought of it in that way that you just described. Like, could you could you keep up with it? Could you be as versatile? Could you like It goes on and on.
1: Yeah, I um, I got I've gotten to meet a number of those late night drummers, uh, like Ed Shaughnessy, who was the drummer in the Tonight Show band. Mm-hmm. My Back to my jazz times mm-hmm. thing, mm-hmm. he I, I would just call him and just you know give it the guise of oh I'm calling a client you know because yeah. he would run ads, but Ed would talk my ear off and it was mm-hmm. amazing to hear mm-hmm. those stories and it scared the living daylights out of me yeah because Ed would be like well we we would have a rehearsal and things would either A go according to plan or B not so much. <laughs> you know, and and so he was just kind of like, you've gotta be loose and free and and, you know, I mean Ed, while most people don't really think of him, well had an amazing technique too, mm-hmm. but it also had this voracious appetite of musical ingestion. Mm-hmm. And he was he was somebody who really told me he was I said, you know, what's a gig like this? He goes, It's always being on your toes. And I just, you know, he was like, I played for tap dancers. I played for uh, rock bands. I played for country bands. You know, and he just had to be 100% all the time and always on his toes. Mm -hmm. And while I like to think that I'm always on my toes and always listening, I just don't think that I'm up to par with that. Mm -hmm. You know, like, I mean, Allie, who Allie Miller is, I mean, she hears and can do all that stuff. Mm -hmm. I mean, watching some of the great late night, TV show drummers, I mean, mm-hmm. Max Weinberg, obviously, mm-hmm. and then um, Steve Jordan with The Late Show. Oh, gosh, yeah. And yeah. Anton Fig then with The Late mm-hmm. Show. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I mean, there's just been so many of them.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, and it, I've always, he, Max Weinberg had said years ago that he thought uh, being getting that gig would be the ideal job, and then he got the job. <laughs> and then and then that's when things kind of got complicated but to me i guess i i still idealize that and i still romanticize it on some level i really think that would be re- i don't think you could do it for an he, i think he did it for 11 or 12 years i don't know if you could do it for that long cuz that's tough like you said it's it's emotionally it's intellectually exhausting just as much as it is physically Exhausting. I don't know if you could, if I could do that, but man, it seems like it'd be a lot of fun. It really does. It
1: would be amazing fun, I think. Yeah, it would be amazing fun. I just don't know that I could do it. I I would love to think that I could because I mean, be a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, and you get to meet famous people, and there's a certain amount of celebrity that goes into it. That's right. I would love
1: to see myself on TV. I have a better face for radio than I do TV, (laughs) but I would love. To see myself on TV at some point.
0: (laughs) (laughs) We can make that happen. Actually, we're going to tape something tomorrow night where you will be on television eventually. That's uh, right. Although the internet television. Um, Real quickly, um, I can't believe how fast this has gone, but I I want to get your thoughts, however briefly, um, on Frederick, not just Frederick. You can even stay around. You can even go to Baltimore and D.C. if you want, but sort of the regional jazz scene around here. Um, I've had conversations with people about, and I know, uh, I can't, the name's escaping me now. There's a place in DC that just closed the last couple, within the last couple of years. Bohemian caverns. Yes. That, that was a really big deal. There, are there, are there a lot of artists? Are there a lot of places to see it? Where do you go to see it? Do you think it's thriving? I mean, even hyper locally here in Frederick, do you think it's, it's doing well? I
1: do. And I, while there are less venues, there are more talented players around. Mm Mm-hmm. And here in D.C. and, you know, here in Frederick and in the surrounding area, we're really fortunate, especially with jazz musicians, because you have a lot of these um, national level military band guys mm-hmm. who retire and end up here. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the case in points is my friend Daryl Brenzel, who I play with a lot, a saxophonist. Yeah. He wow. is a wonderful player, retired from the military bands and moved up here. And
0: Did he do the rewrite of Spring? He was did. Was that him? Okay. That was him. Boy, yep. I loved that. He's, I loved that.
1: He's a he's an amazing player yeah. and a, an amazingly uh, easy guy to be around. And there's a lot of great players. Um, my friend Mark Leisher, who's you know was in the DC Baltimore scenes, bass player, mm-hmm. um, is here in he lives in Adamstown. And and um, you know there's a lot of great players around. Mm-hmm. Um, and if I'm gonna go see music, you know, people have been more into it. You know, the Blue Side mm-hmm. started having a jazz brunch with my. Friend Jesse Schulterberger on drums. Yeah. Um,
0: do you know his brother Colin?
1: I do know oh, Colin. Yeah. Yes, I do know Colin. I mm. remember. Uh, I've got some funny stories about Colin. That I probably won't say on. <laughs>
0: Everybody the air, has funny stories about yeah,
1: Colin. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I remember one time we were uh, Jesse and when we were in college, Jesse and I went to college together, mm. and I remember they lived in this house that was. I don't know if it was held together by by duct tape, but I swear that it was. It had cement floors and, um, like, substandard electrical and plumbing. And there's like, had these five guys, Jesse included, who lived there, um, who were there to, like, fix the house and take Mm -hmm. care of these 11, like, pedigree show dogs, which – some, it was just disgusting it's wild and we were moving Jesse and one of his roommates my first roommate uh, to another house and Colin was there as a little boy
2: mm-hmm.
1: and we were just you know we were banging into stuff that like there were loose nails everywhere and we were just like screaming profanity and Jesse's dad was like guys Colin is like 10 <laughs> And we were like, sorry. I, I felt like that movie. I felt like that moment in that movie old school where they're like earmuffs, yeah. you know, and like tell the little kid to like put his hands over. His yeah. Head. Yeah. That's you know, poor Colin. That's you know.
0: <laughs> that. That's why he turned out the way he yeah. did. That's, yeah. It's all your fault.
1: That's right. Yeah. That's what I blame. Yeah. Well, if, if, if his musicality is my fault, then yes, I'll take all the, all the hardship on that. Cause he is an amazing musician. That's a family of amazing musicians. Yeah.
0: You know? yeah. So, so you think it's thriving though. You think it's a, it's a good place to see live music. Cause I know everybody it, it's, e- I don't want to say easy, but there are a lot of places that do have like Sunday brunches, even, you know, around that, that seems to be the de facto thing that people will book when they want to book jazz, but it's like, Is there a place where somebody wants to book jazz on a Saturday night? You know, like that would be nice.
1: Yeah. um, And I will say Beans in the Belfry in Brunswick has always Mm -hmm. uh, like been one of those places. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, whenever I've got somebody coming into town on a Friday or Saturday night, um, they'll all they always say, you know, please, please have them come you know, play here on a Saturday night. Mm -hmm. Um, They give me a gig every second Thursday of every month to do whatever weird things I want to do, um, but th- I feel like it's really starting to like pick back up. There's mm-hmm. the jam sessions that have kind of popped up all over the region, mm-hmm. you know, in Middletown and yeah. Shepherdstown and Hagerstown, and yeah, you know, there's a lot of great musicians kind of floating through. And yeah. Howard so. Burns at FCC is bringing in great musicians too.
0: Yeah, I was I was kind of I wanted to ask you about that because there is one, uh, was it FCC or was it Hood that did something about Thelonious Monk not too long ago. Did you hear about this? I did
1: not. See, no. that's the one problem is that they haven't done a great job of promoting yeah. it. Um, yeah. they had Jimmy Cobb here a couple of years oh, ago. I didn't know that. And I found out about it the day after and like oh. Jimmy's like one of my heroes and I've always wanted to study with him. Hmm. And I've everybody said, "Hey, Jimmy Cobb was here." And I was like, "Jimmy Cobb was here." Like <laughs> in Frederick. I think he was at FCC for wow. like a week. Hmm. And it was just You just don't hear about it, yeah.
0: You don't, and that—that's kind of where I think the divide is when it comes to the jazz scene around here, too. You don't find out about a lot of this stuff, even though there are cool things happening. There needs to be sort of a centralized place where people can get the information, you know, somehow. Definitely. So, I don't know. Um, You have a show this weekend.
1: I do. I have have five shows this week. Five
0: shows in three days, you were telling me off air. So if you could give us the rundown so people can come check it out this weekend.
1: Sure. So I've apparently discovered that I don't know how to say no to things. (laughs) Um, Including this podcast. Including this podcast, (laughs) which I'm really excited to be on. Um, But yes, so uh, I've got a really exciting run of gigs with my friend Noah Preminger. He's a tenor saxophonist. Mm -hmm. He's actually the downbeat rising star tenor saxophonist this year, yes, which is uh, very exciting for
0: him. Downbeat, is that a magazine you read? It it's is. Young. I actually
1: read Downbeat and Jazz Times, and, and after leaving Jazz Times, I felt like I could read Downbeat and not <laughs> be like, ah, what do they think they're doing? Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And But it's great. It's, it's one of those things. Like, I love... I'd love to totally nerd out about.
0: Like, oh, I know I'd
1: totally, totally That's nerd. Out. The
0: next podcast too, because I uh, the the Downbeat with uh, Ambrose Zach, and Mercy, is that yeah, how you say his last name? Good luck with that. Okay, I don't know. <laughs> we'll was, go with that just because. <laughs> I love him. I'm a huge fan of his, and he was on the cover not too long ago. And I, they always every year, like oh, actually one of my most prized possessions is an issue of Downbeat with Jason Rand on the cover. And I met him. Uh, he at. Uh, played at the university of maryland a few years ago and okay. i had him sign it so nice. i got to geek out and i put that in a frame and that's very cool I'm so very happy about that very but cool. your shows yes yeah, so
1: <laughs> friday is no Noah. no is coming down from boston um and we're gonna do friday night together with uh michael formanac bassist who used to be with stan gets mm-hmm. and um is an ecm recording artist and Again, here's a situation where we're not going to plan anything. Yeah. We're just going to go and hit, and that'll be fun. <laughs> Saturday day, we're playing at the Vanish Brewery over in Luckett's. Okay, um, it's Noah, myself, and then bassist Mark, Mark Leisher. Mm-hmm. We're playing during the day from eleven thirty to three. As part of one of their wine festivals, okay, in um, cool. the lower pavilion, which mm-hmm. is going to be exciting. And then Saturday night, we're going to Shepherdstown, my old oh. hometown, um, playing at the Town Run Brewing Company.
0: I've never been there, but I've heard so much about it. It's
1: a fantastic place, and it's hard to believe that one of my college friends owns and runs that place. Is that no, Todd? It is Todd. Yes. Todd.
0: Todd got me involved in doing a radio show at Shepherd University okay. uh, for a couple years. Then he left. station and then i left the station but yes (laughs) we used to play uh i played oh gosh one of this one of the the tracks on alternating current i played every week oh wow you should know yeah i don't I remember it, was it victoria yes it victoria the paul motion it? yeah piece. the paul motion piece yes i played that uh because your twitter handle is motion sickness yes which i always thought was witty so i would play that and tell everybody to follow you on twitter at motion sickness ah, so there thank go. you you're welcome Jeff, thank you
1: <laughs> so um And then we're playing Saturday night. uh, It's Noah, myself, and bassist Kim Cass, who was coming down from New York. He was originally going to play all five gigs with us, but he um, ended up with a gig at the last minute at the Village Vanguard with John Zorn. So Mm. he was like, "Oh, I hate to sub," and I'm like, "Yeah, whatever. Uh I hate to (laughs) sub." John Zorn at the Vanguard instead of me. (laughs) So we're doing Saturday night uh, from 9:30 to 12:30 at uh, the Town Run Brewing Company. Mm -hmm. Sunday. During the day, from 2 p.m. to 4 p.m., we're at the Rust Library, Noah, Kim, and I, um, in Leesburg. And then Sunday night, we're at Twins Jazz uh, in D.C. on U Street.
0: Wow. Yeah. That's a, that's a making a lot of money, I hope.
1: Yeah, because oh, there's tons of money in jazz. Uh, have you ever heard how you make a million dollars in jazz?
0: I've never. No, I've not heard this.
1: No. Well, you start out with two and a
0: half. Oh, that's uh. funny. That's good. <laughs> Oh, we could a do a those jokes. Joke. We could do the drummer jokes we too. Could like, <laughs> how many drummers does it take to, to screw in a light bulb?
1: Is that three or five? And one to criticize how Steve Gad would do it
2: better? Or,
0: uh, Neil Peart would Neil do G- it. Yeah, that's, that's right. A, <laughs> that's,
1: <laughs>
0: oh, we could do this all day. We could. All day. We could. Uh, yeah. So, um, And you also, we, we end these podcasts with a song as well, and I know that you brought something, so if you could set that up before we end up playing it, what, what did you bring us?
1: Sure, I brought you a piece from my upcoming record uh, okay. called uh, Hunters and Scavengers. The record is called Hunters and Scavengers, and it's a piece off of that record. It's with uh, saxophonist Scott Robinson and bassist Ken Villiano. Scott is best known for being part of the Village Vanguard Orchestra and... Maria Schneider's band and, um, a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And he, uh, has this amazing free side of his playing that nobody knows because, or nobody really thinks about because he's so well known for the Mingus big band Mm -hmm. and, and all of these other very stylistic things. Mm -hmm. He's just an amazing musician. Mm -hmm. And, uh, we, we got together, he, Ken and I, uh, with, audio engineer uh jimmy katz and recorded this record in two hours
0: wow one take
1: uh it's it's a lot of one takes yes (laughs) it's a lot of one takes and so it'll be a piece off that record which i'm really excited Mm -hmm. the record is coming out in february of 2018 okay Um, i actually just got the masters yesterday so Ah, hot off the press this is world premiere world premiere which is very exciting Mm -hmm. yes and uh so it'll be one of two projects that come out next year, um, which I'm really excited
0: about. Is well, what's the other project?
1: So the other project is the final recording with Matt Ship and William Parker. Okay. This is a record called Near Disaster, which will uh, was also recorded within a couple of months of Hunters and Scavengers, hmm. and we were we were doing these run of gigs, and the first show was in Baltimore, and the Sun Ra Orchestra was playing for free uh, uh, opposite us. Wow. But on the opposite end of town. (laughs) So they drew all the crowd. And then we were playing in Richmond the next night at this uh, recording studio called The Sound of Music, and we were going to record the gig, and this was William had announced he was going to leave the trio, which was deeply upsetting, but at the same Mm -hmm. time we figured, you know, we would capture it, and uh, the – we get down there, and the Sun Ra Orchestra is playing at at the Virginia Folk Festival for free in Richmond, like at the same time as us. Can't and I was catch just, a break. Yeah. So, like five people showed up to this gig. It was, um, but, uh, and then we did the gig, and I felt really good about it. And mm-hmm. I went and picked up the tapes the next morning, and uh, before I headed out of town, and the, I put the first set on. And one of the microphone cables must have been bad. And oh, so it like no. destroyed the entire first set. And I put, oh. it just put it away. I didn't even listen to the second set. Mm-hmm. I just put it away and was like, oh, this is the worst. And then the Matt, had, I, we were getting together and, and we were getting ready to have dinner or something. He's like, oh, have you listened to it at all? And I was like, oh, the first set's totally messed up. And And, uh, and I was like, I'll go back to it. And I went home that night from New York and, and and listened to it, the second set, and I was like, oh my gosh, this is some yeah. of my favorite music that we played together, mm. and it was, uh, so I just edited it and mixed it, you know, cool. et, by edited I mean I just carved it and, yeah. Yeah. you know, and, and ordered it, and it, it's, it was near disaster because nobody came to the gigs, yeah. it was, um, the first set was messed the up, and, and it was just but it's a very pure raw way that we played and it just felt great mm. so um hunters and scavengers right. and then um this near disaster will be out they're going to be digital okay. only release this is my first foray into the digital only world it's we'll see cheaper. how
0: that works it's much cheaper
1: well it's cheaper but i feel like i'm one of six people in the world who still buy cds
0: yeah me too <laughs> me too yeah i know that yeah i have many stories about that having printed uh cds for this band that we're in now i yeah people don't want cds people just want to stream it
1: it's weird you know and it's funny because everyone's like oh well you'll just sell cds at gigs and i don't typically um if if i'm playing with people on that level of of matt or william or noah or mike formanac or um jeff Letter or any of those higher level you know nationally or internationally recognized players um i'm always playing with somebody different like Mm -hmm. it's and it's funny because people want a CD of the band that they're seeing. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. Um, I have I I mean I feel I'm gonna pat myself on the back. I feel like <laughs> I've got some pretty nice records that I've done really well, but people don't really seem to want them if you're not in that band mm-hmm. um, at that moment at the gig. Um, and I um, so to me I'm just gonna see. Mm-hmm. You know the I mean obviously the Matt and William band isn't gonna do any more gigs, and so I felt just kind of right to. To put that as a digital yeah. and and with the yeah. Scott and Ken thing, I, I'm really super excited about that record. Um, but I'm just interested to try it on a record that you know might have yeah you know we're, we're it's, mm. it's all an experiment yeah.
0: Well, is this is this the record too that you had? Are these sessions the one you had sent me a while ago? Yes, okay. these are
1: the sessions finally edited. Okay, um, I, it was one of those things too where um, I I. As as you from five gigs in three days, you 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 know, and my two children and, and family and and stuff, I tend to take on a lot more than I can handle at yeah. any one time. Yeah. Um, and so I, I we did the record, and I just kind of sat on it mm-hmm. and went back to it. And w- at the time, after I listened to it, probably a couple of weeks after the session, I was I was very frustrated with my playing and mm. and how the. I mean, Ken and Scott, I felt were very inspired and inspiring on the session, mm-hmm. but you know, under the microscope of just having done it, I was like, oh god, hmm. I can't believe I just did that. <laughs> you know, it's like, yeah. but it <laughs> like, I sat down and I, and you and two other people were were people that I gave the raw session tapes to, mm-hmm. and your advice echoed the other two people. Oh was, really? <laughs> there there's some really great stuff in here but it's got to be trimmed you know and and again that was a, a recording session where we had literally nothing planned mm-hmm. we just went in and, and just played mm-hmm. and again that can be amazing mm-hmm. or it can be completely terrible mm-hmm. and so um so i uh took finally in middle of uh, of 2016 i was traveling a lot and so i i put the put the Session tapes on my iPhone, which is crazy that we can all do now. I know. I put the session I tapes on, and I, and I put my headphones on, and I got to the airport like two hours early, and I sat down, and I just listened to the session tapes and made my notes. I've got this grid that I do, and, and I just put down the session tapes and took out the chunks that I felt like were the most song-like mm-hmm. and edited it up that way. And then okay. bunch some stuff made the cut, some stuff didn't. um, that'll be
0: for the rarities release. Yes. For the rarities. Yes. The B-sides. The the, B-sides.
1: The squawking. The maybe we should try. No. Shouldn't try that. (laughs) That doesn't work. You know.
0: (laughs) Um, So is there for the for the track we're about to hear, do you have a name for it? Uh, By chance.
1: Well, uh, there's some choices here. We've got Ornette Coleman's Lonely Woman, which is the only piece that we planned uh-huh. well again put that in air quotes of planned. yeah um and then there is another piece that is called no i don't remember what the names of the tracks okay. are <laughs> okay
0: so it's like so we can just do <laughs> we can do anything we, we can want do anything um
1: and again which is very funny because i i'm terrible with remembering song titles mm-hmm. like so i'll be on these gigs and somebody say let's play um uh, on the sunny side of the street. And I'm just, you know, and I'm like, oh, how does that go? <laughs> like, I know, I know them. And mm-hmm. I'm I like, I'm like, Hey, can you just sing that for a second? And I'm like, okay, oh, I got God. it. But then even with tunes that I kind of come up with, mm-hmm. yeah, I, and, I, I'm so, terrible with the names of you them. You
0: can't even remember your own songs. I know, either.
1: right? I remember how they go. <laughs> does that help?
0: Just, um, <laughs> just the titles. Just
1: the mm-hmm. titles. The titles are, are elusive. Like, I had somebody come up to me, um, well, actually, here's a funny Bohemian Caverns mm-hmm. story. I um, I was playing at Bohemian Caverns with Matt and William, mm-hmm. and it was it was the first it was the last time that they had sold out both sets because mm. it was a it was like the perfect storm of press and people and personnel on the record and, and like everybody was there. Mm-hmm. And it was great, and um, we you know my wife was there and friends were there and. Um, we were packed, and we we were just playing and playing and playing, and then it broke into Victoria, the Paul Motion tune oh, yeah. from that record, mm-hmm. and suddenly I hear from the audience, "Oh, wait a minute, that's a real song, oh. you know." And so it was, it, but it was great, like you know, I mean, <laughs>
0: that's a real song, and then it's you, a real song. you just dropped your sticks and left. No, right I, there, just, I
1: just, I just. I, those things don't throw me like I've, I mean, we could spend a whole podcast on like most horrible gig stories oh yeah but um, but yeah that those things don't throw me I I, fi- I find a lot of joy in that okay. like I find
0: gotta know, have thick skin that's the thing I
1: do I do when when you' drumming sounds like you're throwing your drums and instruments down this flight of stairs yes <laughs> you have to have very thick skin
0: <laughs> well whatever song we end up playing, uh, just know that it's going to be off this digital-only release, released, I think you said February? February. It's going to come out in February. Yeah. Uh, we'll have a review of it, I'm sure, if, if you give Absolutely. me a completed, completed collection. Um, Jeff, is there any way? Do you have jeffcosgrove.com? Do you I have, have
1: jeffcosgrovemusic.com. Can... Okay. Um, and then I have my uh, Bandcamp site, which is Motion Sickness, but it's M-O-T-I-A-N, for paul, paul motion, motion uh dot .bandcamp.com you could all of my records are there along with a bunch of uh, live things that you can stream um, and it's, uh, it's there's a lot of stuff up there you can keep up Jeff Cosgrove music uh, and then the motion sickness
2: okay.
0: band. .bandcamp we have to do this again absolutely this, to, is this is a lot of so fun so good and it's the, I think it's the longest podcast we've ever done it's my favorite we got geeky on drums we
1: totally nerded it's out and I love it so
0: good it's so good thank you so much Jeff
1: oh thank you so much Colin <laughs>